Yes, welcome back to Brave New Earth. Thank you so much for joining. Always really appreciate it. Really getting some cool guests on and I appreciate everyone that's kind of tuning in, particularly those of you that are subscribed, you're my favorite. <laughs> Today, I have a very, very special guest and probably one of the first companies I knew about in the climate movement, really. I mean, I think about two years ago, I was looking to get into the, the climate space. I asked around and a very very dear person to me, Rob Keane, shout out Rob, put me in contact with uh, Louise from Blue Methane. Um, so yeah, really excited to get get you on finally. What is the problem or, or the challenge, I guess, you guys at Blue Methane are, are trying to solve? So when, when people say methane, everyone's thinking cows, cows. farts, <laughs> they might think landfill or oil yeah, and yeah. gas, but there's this this lesser known source of methane, and that's methane in water. And it's quietly being emitted from water bodies across the world and gets very little awareness. And so what what we're obsessed with solving is the challenge of methane emissions from water. And we find them in rice cultivation and in some reservoirs and in wastewater. And as the ice, ice melts in the Arctic, we find new lakes full of methane. So... It just doesn't get the same press as as cow farts. As and, cows. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as glamorous. It's not as glamorous. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Equally unglamorous. Yeah. So how, why is there methane in water? You know, I guess I, the, the association that most people will give methane is, yeah, as you say, cows. Why, why is there methane in water? So there's, there's not methane in all water. So okay. it's just some sources of yeah. water. But in all those examples that I gave, it's where there's organic material at the bottom. Yeah. Um, or in wastewater, it's organic material that's breaking down over time without oxygen. And when there's no oxygen, instead of becoming carbon dioxide, it becomes methane. And methane is a really potent greenhouse gas. Mm. Like over 20 years, like short-term warming, it is its ability to hold heat in the atmosphere is about 85 times more powerful than, than carbon dioxide. So people fix methane in the short term, you're fixing a massive chunk of, of climate change. So you mentioned it's not in all water. So yeah. what 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 areas of water do have methane versus what doesn't have methane? And, and I guess what causes the stuff that does to have it as opposed to the other stuff? So for something like rice cultivation, it will all have it because it's all the organic matter, like the, the vegetation breaking down. So all rice paddies would have it. Most wastewater will have it because also organic matters. And for a reservoir, which is really where we have a lot of our energy, reservoirs will have methane if they have loads of organic matter at the bottom, if it's lovely and warm, if it's mm. lots of deep waters. So think about like the Amazon or across the tropics where there's lots of greenery, where there wasn't a reservoir. So reservoirs are usually a man-made body of water. But before there was a reservoir, it was... It were plants. It was plants. So then they fill it with water, and that breaks down over time, plus all the carbon in the soil below it. Mm. But if it's a very cold place with very rocky climates, um, very shallow, then unlikely to have methane. So I, I'm assuming the problem with that is the methane then comes out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. How? Do, what's the process there? How does that happen? Methane in reservoirs and, and natural water bodies and even reservoirs, it comes up through three different pathways. Okay, so the first one is bubbling yeah. and bubbling in shallow waters. So where there's not enough pressure for the water above to keep it down, it bubbles up and you literally see columns of bubbles coming up in the shallow, in the shallow waters, like under a couple of meters. Then there's also diffusion. 
And diffusion is where it remains dissolved and then slowly rises to the top and then transfers up from the water to the gas. And then this is other part, which is about 50% of reservoir emissions from methane is called degassing. And it's like you're holding a bottle of sparkling water and you undo the lid. And by undoing the lid, the pressure is released and you see bubbles rise, don't you? And, you're, yeah, and yeah. that's what happens. The water goes through the dam, through the turbines, the pressure is released and, and you see bubbles rise. Yeah. So that, those are the three main pathways for methane coming out of water in the reservoir. And how how are you guys planning or how are you guys solving this issue? Because it, it seems like a pretty, pretty a pretty big problem to solve, right? Yeah. What do you what do you say? I was looking on your website. You you plan to capture a bit is it a billion? Yeah. That's a huge a huge task ahead of you. What's the what's the strategy? Uh so we are solving this problem by developing a technology that that permanently removes methane from water. So we are per, we are like direct methane capture. And you know you might hear about direct air capture who are taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, but methane is amazing because it's it's the primary component of natural gas. It has a value. Yeah. So if we can capture, if we can remove the methane from the water, then not only do we solve a, a climate problem, but we also have a new source of renewable power mm. because it can be used to generate electricity or can be used as natural gas. So methane can be used to generate electricity yeah i didn't i didn't even know that. yeah so you, you 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 can burn it and it will generate power oh, okay um or you can keep it as natural gas and you know you see it in your hob or you a stove and, and that's that's natural gas and and methane natural gas are very similar use it in your stove yeah in theory yes <laughs> oh in theory I was yeah gonna... i mean as in yeah. it's even more it's in practice it's the same thing oh, so okay. methane is but it's not commonly used today it is so people are already using it's it's People are using methane already for power all the time. Like it's coming out of, let's say, a landfill. So yeah. landfill has loads of methane, and they are capturing that methane and using it to generate power. In wastewater, they're taking like literally like shit, and then they <laughs> yeah. oh, excuse my audience, yeah. and they capture the methane from it in the same way as they start doing with cows, and then they can they use it to generate power. So we're doing the same thing, except we're removing methane from the water, the dissolved methane from water for the same for power as well. Awesome. I had no idea methane was used for power. None. Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to be a bit shocked that it's going to be coming through their stoves because <laughs> of the association. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so cool. So is, is it quite, I guess, methane? I think most people know methane is quite potent from a greenhouse gas perspective. What's the numbers like 20x or something more than carbon? So if over 100 years, yeah. it's around... 28 times more powerful but methane doesn't stay in the atmosphere for 100 years it breaks down after about 12 years mm. and after then it breaks down into carbon dioxide so it's really it's actually more important thing about what is its short-term potential when it's actually methane and yeah. that's about 85 times more powerful than than 85 yeah and then it's not even like that goes it then turns into carbon dioxide yeah. so if yeah. <laughs> that's a real problem isn't yeah. it christ and it's um, estimated that methane is attributing about a third of all climate, of global warming. Why did everyone fixate on the carbon stuff? Because carbon, like, if, if, if you associate climate change with carbon, don't you? But there's so, so many other factors at play. Why did that happen? I don't a, know. A third is a huge number. It is a huge number. I think yeah. the, the, the research on methane is more recent. Oh, okay. Policy reflecting it is more recent. Yeah. And therefore... 
we, I mean, we see a proliferation of academic papers and researchers now in, in methane. So mm. we're, we're excited about the change. Yeah. Uh, but I think people, not everybody knew. Do you think like there are carbon credits, we'll end up having methane credits? That's what we're working on. Is At it? the moment, yeah. there's no carbon yeah. credit for the removal of methane from water like that it's we're doing. Self, yeah. So we're also working to develop a new methodology for that to be able to get carbon credits or methane credits or whatever we're going to call them. We're diving into that for sure, but I want to, I don't want to jump the gun. A, a question I always like to ask, um, because I'm, I'm fascinated with business, not but not just like, not I've always been fascinated with not just climate businesses, but business, and I'm always fascinated to work out like how did this idea come around in the first place? Because unlike other industries, say like a hoodie or clothing, you you have a problem and you solve it, but in climate, we're all dealing with the same problem, but. You, you don't necessarily wake up one day and think, oh, you know, those that methane coming from that reservoir really pissing me off. <laughs> yeah, so how did you come around to, I guess, to one, the problem and two? So my, um, um, my co-founder, Nestor, yeah. he is an experienced engineer in hydropower and wastewater mostly. And it was 2016, so we hadn't met each other yet. And he read an article in The Guardian oh. and the headline of this article was, Hydropower reservoirs emit a billion tonnes of greenhouse gases. Yeah. And he's like, what? I never knew this. I've been working in this industry for a long time. How can I not know this problem exists? And so he set about trying to do the sort of read the academic papers that were supporting that headline. And it was sort of revelatory for him. And he was still working full time doing his own thing. And then it, the idea brewed for a year and a half or so. And then there was a very warm winter of 2018, 2019, I think it was. Mm. He lives in, he was living in the Netherlands and thought, actually, I, I think I have an idea to solve this problem. And it's, it's time that we all took responsibility and started solving this problem. Yeah. So he started working on, on, on trying to work out how can we process large volumes of water at low methane concentrations to actively and permanently remove it. Okay, so that was, that was then. He, he's been working in parallel on this idea yeah. by himself in his evenings. And then separately, so I didn't wake up one day with this idea. Mm. Okay. I have been running my on my own trajectory and for the last 10 years, and my background was like marketing, L'Oreal, Johnson & Johnson. And then I ran my own company for about 10 years on just marketing strategy. And I had a client and they had a, they had a, they were highly engineered widgets of different descriptions. Mm. And I said, oh, I really think you could do some circularity. I think you can, I really mm. think you should be recycling and reusing this, these plastic things. And they weren't particularly interested at the time. <laughs> uh, I think it didn't didn't make money, and and it wasn't such a big deal. And then the yeah. pressure mounted, and I said, "I can do this. I can, I can, I can work this out. I've got a good brain. I can do this." And he said, "No, you're not qualified." I said, "Well, what takes what takes me to be qualified?" Yeah. And he brought in this person, this awesome lady, and I asked her, "Like, what makes you qualified to do qualified, this?" Yeah. And she told me she'd done this post grad back at. Cambridge University yeah. in sustainable business leadership and it was like a nine-month course and I thought all right I'll do that then so I signed <laughs> up for that in my evenings it was deep COVID like the whole program had gone remote but it opened my mind to the scale of the challenge and the frameworks for understanding the problems and at the end of that I realized I couldn't go back now I, I didn't want to go around not tinkering but just solving the small problem for my clients I thought I'm, I need something really dramatic here to really try and make an impact. I signed up for a, a climate tech fellowship called OnDeck. Um, okay. and, and OnDeck, uh, it ran four programs and then it's, it's, it's not happening anymore. That was completely amazing. And 
this was in January. I signed up in January 2021. Yeah. And it was through that that I met my co-founder. So oh, okay. I was there looking for dramatic change in an ecosystem. It was also gone remote because it was COVID. Yeah. And there were like 180 of us, maybe like really senior people across the climate ecosystem globally, although with a strong bias to America. And it was based on this premise that you give twice as much help as the help you think you need in solving your challenge. And Nesta, my co-founder, wanted help on how he could tell the story of this really challenging thing that people didn't know about. And I thought that was interesting. So I thought I could help him as mm -hmm. I'm, that's the thing I, I'm good at. And it was a, it was a pleasure. And I helped him a few times. And after about three weeks, like, okay, should we do, she worked together for half days. Yeah. So we did three weeks of half days together. I thought this is, this is an, a really awesome challenge to be solving. It's enormous. Mm -hmm. It's an unaddressed market opportunity. It's very high impact potential. And that was May 2021. I've been working together on solving this problem. So we basically handed in our day jobs then. Nice. So yeah. almost two, two years in. Almost two years in, yeah. in May. And th that course you did at Cambridge, is that something you'd recommend people to, to do? Yeah, I found yeah. it, for me, I found it really good for context. It was academic. so yeah. and, and it did involve writing like dissertations and paper, we had to do a group paper, eight of us across the world together. It was really valuable for me to understand. Where was the value? Because in, in I guess kind of my circles of entrepreneurship, the, the, the traditional roots of education are sort of not laughed at, but they're very much like, yeah, oh, you don't need uni, blah, 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 blah. But I have a suspicion that that may change in the climate because this stuff is unfortunately really academic and scientific. Like, what was the perspective you learned in that, I guess, course that changed your trajectory? Understanding climate requires understanding ecosystems, equity across the world of climate equity, who's suffering and who's creating the problem. Where is, where is wealth being held and where is it not being distributed? Like it is, it isn't just CO2 in the air. It's yeah. about who has power, who makes policy, who are the influencers? How do you understand climate ecosystems? So, and, and also analyzing how do you influence change? How do you influence change? These are, I mean, you, anybody can read about them. The truth is you can read about them by yourself. You don't need to sign up to a university, but I, as a person, need the discipline of the, yeah. of the funneling of the education, like the forcing function. So you need to read these articles by this time yeah. to, to make sure that I do that. And also, I mean, the internet's a huge place, right? It filters that for you and say, this is possibly the stuff that's best, best to start. That's fascinating. So the, 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 the ecosystem is just so complicated, right? And there's so many different stakeholders. So you really got like an understanding of all the different parts in play as opposed to just like yeah, the, the, a, a narrow... Yeah. The big pictures, like how do people, how can you look at sustainability? Like what are the uh, the multiple lenses you can do that? Mm. You know, what, what's the difference between actually saying you're doing something but then going skiing four weekends in a row <laughs> versus actually somebody who's living with their grandparents and not even thinking about climate change, but truthfully is a much better global citizen because they yeah. are, are sharing resources. They, they don't have a private jet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So I think it's really interesting that you came at climate from a marketing lens because I don't think, I, I'm trying to do the same as well, and I don't think we're as common in the industry as we need to be. What's your take on that? And, and I guess what is what is the value of marketing and communication for the climate movement? There is so much is the importance of the storytelling so that it doesn't 
feels something so intangible. Like it is every part of like we should climate shouldn't be an, a department like mm. sustainability shouldn't be a department like uh, accounting or legal. Like it just should be the way we breathe. Mm. Like everything should should have that that framing to it. So now the question, I think marketing has like I I was an active marketer for several years but since when I had my own company I was really much more a think more than a doer so I I don't think I'm a a hands-on modern day marketer truthfully like then but I have that thinking yeah the, the storytelling so the you storytelling active, you mean the guy that yeah the, like the really is doing all the digital yeah, marketing and I yeah, yeah. And I did a bit now because I've got my own company and yeah. <laughs> can't, can't afford to pay anybody else so a bit more expensive recently, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but it has yeah, I think it helps you with understanding external affairs and policy and communication and, I don't know, just, just being a good communicator. Yeah, and it's the, persuasion, it's the persuasion, right? I mean, like, you need to align people to an action and that yes. is persuasion. Is, is that, that, yeah, but I think you don't yeah. have to have marketing for that. I think that comes with confidence in the thing that you're trying to do. Yeah. And if you... And real so confidence in in telling it and and absolute belief in your vision, mm. um, and even if you don't know exactly how you're going to get there, like you just know where you want to be, mm. and mm. and then that's the the biggest most important thing. So I think for me, marketing hasn't played a big role. I just really? happen to I don't know. I mean, I, it hasn't been so instrumental to how I feel about what I'm doing now. I feel much more like a jack of all trades, like I'm yeah, yeah. than than the master of marketing. Yeah, well, I think there's an element because like the website's beautiful, the message is so clear, and I think there's probably a lot of subconscious stuff which probably is bled in that because you need to look legit, and and all uh, all those things are often sometimes subconscious, mm. which comes in with the marketing element. But you're right, as a as a founder, it's just like you you're basically doing everything, <laughs> you, everything yeah, except yeah, designing the tech. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So I mean that's perfect segue. So your relationship with your co-founder, you met on this. Was it on on deck? Yeah, we met on deck. Met, met on on deck, and and you guys live in different countries, right? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. actually, so we met in March 2021, yeah. and then we decided to, to throw in our day jobs by May, but we didn't actually meet in person until September. Our first day at ca our Carbon 13 was an accelerator program. We started, so we yeah. never met in person until three months after we started a company together. Nice. Like it seems so bonkers that, is crazy, that you would isn't it? you would like, and, and a company is, you, 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 is is as big as any other commitment in your life. Yeah. <laughs> and I did it with this person who we'd never met before. Yeah, crazy. And what what gave you the confidence? Because as you say, starting a company is huge. It's a massive decision in your life. Well, I think I didn't. I didn't make it that big a decision. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. not always. I didn't. I don't look at it that way. I think yeah. that's what it is. I thought, okay, well, let's make the small decision now, which is let's try and do this thing together. Is how do we work together? And we have nothing in common. <laughs> I mean, nothing in common, Harry. We have. <laughs> we th we think differently. He's very logical and structured and organised and and very rational. And I'm impulsive and excited. And <laughs> yeah. and he's very technical and very strategic. And I am more reactive and all about people. And he prefers all about thinking and writing. Like we are just completely different. Yeah, we're different cultures. We're different background. Like he's a Colombian who's a kind of nomad in spirit who lives in now lives in Antwerp in Belgium and I am I am from a from, from a family in London like it's we come from everything is different and that diversity of thinking is very helpful for challenging mm -hmm. 
challenging the the biases you don't know you hold. Yes, I love that idea. Can you expand on that? The biases you don't know you you hold. What do you mean? Well, so I my background is is a is a, is what people would think of. Wow, that's sort of really amazing education. Like, wow, yeah. that must mean these things about you. Like, if you go to one of the best universities, then you go to a great MBA somewhere. Like, people yeah. think, oh, that means you're this kind of person, and people like you are like you yeah. with that experience. And of course, it's well, not of course, but when you people you meet other people who who have not come any of those things and say, well, actually, that's complete rubbish. There's a great person in Iran who hasn't had those opportunities is at least as clever. You just you've just been lucky. Yeah. And recognizing ha- recognizing the importance of opening your eyes to everything that's not your perception of conventionally successful has been really i found i've become a better person because of it i now don't hold those assumptions and those biases as as closely as i did that's so good i think it's such an important point and on the topic of diversity and working with people that are different to you because basically every company i know that's been successful has the same kind of co-founding maybe not co-founding but early employees they're wildly different personalities and I think the concept of biases you don't know you hold is such a key one because you need someone to challenge you because if you don't get challenged then you just continue doing the same things I, I used to, I got really obsessed with that idea and that the the first ex- really great example I found was Lincoln right instead of uh, prior to that in the US people when people got became president they just hired their mates not not their mates but people in their party and he hired his rivals it's called there's a great book on it called like team of rivals or something of rivals he literally appointed people that actively disagree with him because he was like that's the only way i can be sure of my opinion is if i'm getting challenged every day so anyway that's a bit of a digression but um i think it's such an important point and um yeah I i love that how's the i guess the remote nature been I, mean, I just had someone on my on on the pod last week he's such an in-person individual he because he would never be able to do that hate schools yeah. how is that how have you managed that because that's a very modern trendy <laughs> trendy way of doing stuff so we we were demonstrably remote because nestor and i are remote from each other so yeah we have we have made it work by having so much communication like sometimes we will just be working in silence but the screen will be on oh, so I like that. Th- there's not having too much time by yourself actually is very important. Like we try and have lots of thinking time for ourselves, but just a f- constant communication channel actually through whatever software we're using or and calls. And we have to be very structured with our teams. Like what are the deliverables? How are they, not what are they doing for us, but actually how they're getting on the thing they need to do for them. How can we help them? Mm. Making it like every day, can you tell me how, what help you need? It's not about... You are over there, you're delivering, give it to me, we'll have a call. It's actually much more about, we recognise that you are not in the same room as us and our team are far. Like we have two people in Poland, we have yeah. three people in Colombia. Like I'm here, Nesta's in Antwerp, we are everywhere. Really clear communication, people who are really good people, like people yeah. who care about solving this problem, people who care about investing in their own knowledge and mm. training and learning because you've got to be quite a self-starter to to be working out of your bedroom or your office like you need to be of that mindset communication and kindness 
and, yeah. and fair expectation setting, I think. Yeah, yeah. I really like the idea because we're incredibly global. We've got LA, Singapore, Seoul. And I mean, we've been through the same stuff as well. So I love the idea. I love the thought that you're just FaceTiming each other and not necessarily saying anything. Yeah. You're right to replicate that office environment where you're like, yo, Joe, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. What's going on? It's really, really important instead of just like waiting, waiting for the call. I love that. Yeah. But and, sometimes yeah. actually you really do need to be in person, actually. Yeah. So we try and work together at least a day every other week. Mm. And now we started saying, oh, I'll just meet you in Brussels. Just get the cheapest train and meet you in Brussels. Yeah. And we'll work there for the day in like a you know, cafe or a, a working space. So, so, right. so for me, I actually need more in person than than some, than other people. Yeah. And that's why I work hard about making sure that we see each other. And we we have as a company, we have a one a meeting every week where we discuss work. But actually, we have another meeting every week. It's optional. It's just just to talk about every, you know what, what's your favorite meal to cook. Just anything <laughs> yeah. really, just to, because. What is your favorite meal to cook? I do like chicken schnitzel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's so important. Is just getting getting the team bonded. Yeah, and and yeah. Knowing their motivations. Yeah, awesome. How did you how did you guys go about funding this business to start off with? So to start with, for the first six months, we we said to each other, like, how much time can we give this before we have to have money? Like, so you we, both we had to had be full time jobs. Did you? We had full time jobs. Well, we both had full time jobs until May, yeah. and then he started cutting down, and I cut down a bit faster. We realized we, we agreed that we could work a year. We had enough like in our life that we could do a year without having any money at all. Yeah. And we were lucky because we, we got a place in with Carbon 13. Mm. Um, and we started that in September, only a few months after. And that gave us a, we already met each other. So Carbon 13 is a climate focused accelerator program or a venture builder where people meet each other. It's a bit like dating. You yeah. have to find your partner. But For more information, listen to episode one. <laughs> <laughs> but Vanessa and I already yeah. had each other. So we weren't yeah. looking for another founder, yeah. but we did not have experience of fundraising. Some people have done it time and time again, but we had never fundraised for a business. And so how did we fundraise like carbon 13 gave us the process that we channeled ourselves through yeah. the deadlines were helpful and painful because <laughs> we wouldn't have met them if we didn't have real deadlines yeah, yeah and so by january so only about six months later we got our first funding and then we did a proper uh, kind of the rest of our uh, pre-seed last summer yeah that's a bit of a trend you like deadlines don't you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no carbon 13 is awesome and yeah i think that that process is great so you spoke a bit about this previously and i'm really ex I'm really interested to dive into this because a lot of climate businesses are having to almost create markets for themselves or deal with markets that haven't necessarily been well established in the grand scheme of things like the carbon market so you mentioned mm -hmm. briefly you were trying to start a methane market is, is this is that the plan on, on monetizing like how do you plan on monetizing the technology so our business model is a licensing one so we mm. for for well for, we're not going to be owners of big, big infrastructure so people yeah. like if it's a reservoir of very big technology they license they will license the, we will license the technology through them but an, a, a small but important component for us but much more important for the customer is the captured captured methane has a value. It has from two sources. One is the uh, mitigation of the methane will trigger a credit. Yeah, credits can only be created where they are being verified against the methodology. Like this is how you have done it, and to, yeah. to prove that you have actually removed what you've said you've removed and stopped. And and if you weren't there, you've got to prove that that wouldn't be happening if you weren't there. Like additionality. Yeah. Yeah. 
And there are lots of different methodologies. Like there are loads of protocols to say, if you do it this way, then you get a credit for this. But because the thing we're doing is very novel, there is nobody who is, there is no protocol for the removal of methane from water. Mm. So we need to write that protocol and then we need to get it verified um, and validated so that we can then claim the credit or the customer can claim the credit on the back of it being mitigated. Yeah. And then when you've captured the methane, yeah. you've got the credit, but then, then it can be used for power and that is a, an additional source of revenue. So you, are you allowed to do both? Or? You are allowed to do both. They, there is a, a slight difference between them because, there's a, because of the global warming potential yeah. difference. But yes, we believe that you, they're, because they, if you didn't have one without the other, you could still do both. Mm-hmm. Like. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we should be able to do both. Yeah, for sure. And so you literally have to write the accreditation process for this. Is that yeah? How, I mean, t- you, how tough is that? I mean, you, there are some standards. There are some companies who develop standards, so you yeah. could work one of them. The knowledge that you need for that is very specialised. For, for, for our, our methodology is quite specialised. You need to really understand how methane emissions are produced in water. So we are we're still working on the plan for it, to be honest, but it is an important part of our business model. And in this process, how have you how have you dealt with have you have you had grants and stuff like that or support from governments? Yeah, so we have we have had some European grants to help develop the first prototypes. So before we had any yeah. funding, we there's one very important development with last year. So we investment in methane mitigation is about two percent of all in meth, of all climate investment. Like it's nothing, and yet it's about a third of the the challenge. And recognising this, together with a company called Open Hydro, another Carbon 13 company, we applied to develop a novel financial mechanism, where like a, like a financial instrument, yeah. which would incentivise companies to invest in methane capture technologies from hydropower reservoirs. Like it's, it's bonkers, but it's really like methane capture as a service. You don't have to own the technology, you can just have it as a service. And so we developed that with the Innovation Lab for Climate Finance, and we had that endorsed... And that's important because solving the problem we're trying to solve is not just technology, mm. it's also financial. And we need innovation in both. And scale, right? And yeah. scale. And this helps us to scale. Does that mean you're looking to like license the tech to other people? So, so say you have like I, the IP or, yeah. or even just the know-how. Are you then saying, hey, listen, like this is the know-how, but you can buy this off us and go do it in, in your own country? No, it's not like a, not that kind of license. So oh. we would, people would... Um, so if, if uh, an energy company would, as a, as a hydropower reservoir, we would it's a licensing agreement, but we would be working with them to deploy it. We would organise the manufacture of it, like we saw our supply chain. Yeah. And deploy it. Okay. Um, What's been the hardest thing in this process in building scientific, hardware-intensive project where there's not there's not exactly a marketplace for you to dive into? Like, what's what's been the hardest thing? I think the hardest thing is really working out what the roadmap to get there should be yeah it is not easy it is it is a really challenging journey to work out what are the key drivers of change in something that people don't know that much about where policy is only beginning to be implemented like we are so few people like what are the most important things we have to get done but like there's technology and then what else Mm. where do we have to prove it and where does the pilot need to be so i actually think the, the working out the big strategy is is been really challenging in a, in such a new space and how do you personally go about that and uh, is it like 
is there a vision and then you're tracking back from that or like how do you with, with this mammoth goliath task in front of you how do you day-to-day prioritize yeah a plan like you do need a plan yeah you need a monthly plan and a quarterly plan and, and i'm not sure you can go much more than six months with real yeah certainty being always flexible yeah. i think it's a mindset of flexibility and i don't do this alone i said nestor and i we work together a lot on the plan and we never consider ourselves the experts on anything actually so we think okay we have a brilliant group of advisors who we meet with regularly and we ask we tell them the plan or the the top micro or the macro detail and we want it to be challenged Mm. and then we actually seek a lot of advice in our team so we in our engineers like what what are we doing what do you think about this so the more people we can ask the more likely we are to get it right the more experts in the field the more academics people who understand the space how do you identify those academics? Is it is it a case of the, the people that are kind of well known in the in the sphere? I guess. Yeah, you just keep getting out there and you keep yeah. reading. Keep reading. And I don't think yeah. you, you can use LinkedIn's always a good place actually for yeah. activity and keep influencers. But it's not always the most influential person, but it's very well connected. Like we have a great partnership with the Canadian University and we also with the International Hydropower Association, and that's exciting because they're. You know, they're, they're leading thinking and they're supporting energy companies. So good partnerships, staying in touch, reading a lot. Yeah. Good advisors. Good advisors. Yeah, I think advisors. With your investors. So yeah, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, as in that like, same as well. He's yeah. really, like, advisors whose opinions you really trust. Yeah, yeah. And how, how have you found hiring for, because this is effectively a pre-revenue, pre-revenue startup, right? Yeah. How have you, yeah, how, how, have, you, how have you found that? that whole process are people really keen to get involved what's what's the market feeling like we find it really hard to find the right technical people yeah. and and we're we're ge- geographically agnostic i mean i think hiring in australia is hard for us but really we don't the, we don't have to be in london so yeah but we, it's hard for us to work out where to find those people technically a lot of people who have been absolute rock stars have come to us through our website mm. and then they've we have people who are working for us as interns and and periods of time who we just think oh my god like you're an amazing um amazing asset and some of them still work with us as well finding people is hard it's tough isn't it yeah, yeah. It, it's hard and, yeah. and and actually even if you find great people how do you know they're great people yeah well, do you have any heuristics or or non-negotiables in that process you've got to be a nice person yeah yeah how do you work that out so i say that the last pod that we released not that's going to be released he takes them out for food and he sees how they treat their waiter and that's 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 his barometer do you have any like little tricks i guess you'll give it away in case anyone applies after this pod. i just just read an article (laughs) um, i asked somebody the same question recently and she sent me an article saying that i can't remember the name of this guy kevin something but he he hires people, having never interviewed them, he only speaks to their references. Because if oh, it was okay. such a great piece. It was about if you interview somebody and then, you have, then you're then you seeking to validate those biases in references, but if you've never spoken to them before, then you only check with their references, then you get the true perspective. You know, I won't oh. be going down that extreme yeah. level, but <laughs> yeah. we both meet people in the, in the, we just always, we meet them until we, until we feel comfortable with it. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. And that's, Again, it's even tougher from like a global perspective, right? If you, I guess, maybe, have you hired people that you've not met in real life? Yeah. Yeah. 
Pam well, co-founder. Yeah, 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 but yeah, but, but and others as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we have a couple of engineers who I've never met in person. Yeah, wow. But, but some people I think I really need to meet them, like for my team. And so I went to Poland a couple, a few months ago, yeah. so that we'd spend a couple of days together to understand what are the, you know, what are the things that made them tick. Why is this an, an interesting company to be working with, and and what do they want to get out of it? Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, just seen the time. I know you've got half two, so you've got five minutes. There's a couple of last questions yeah, I want to ask, ask you. One, so uh, uh, the vast majority of listenership to this podcast, so 70% are under 30, which is awesome. I love yeah. that. That's still really early in your career, and a lot of people all don't work in climate. For people that don't currently work in climate, what advice would you have for them to transition to a role in this space and that can be as a founder but also just as an intern builder whatever yeah what advice would you have for people that are looking to get into the space there should be no barrier like i think if you want to want to move into the space then start applying for those jobs mm. or do a bit of reading around it or try and get some work experience for free for free somewhere over the summer or or i'd say you just you just the first step is always the first step isn't it mm. Um, I have not had a background in climate. I realised over several months that I couldn't live with myself without trying to do something in this space. I have three children as well um, and a dog whose birthday is today. Oh, happy <laughs> birthday, doggo. <Yeah. laughs> and, and I don't want to, I, I can't bear the fact that I'm leaving the planet in, in a worse place and it's my generation. So I felt a real need to do this. But it's not like I have. Co I haven't come from a very specific technical knowledge. I, I'm like so many people. I haven't got the skill. And then you're coming from angle. Like I, think I have lots of broad skills, and I must be able to make a difference somewhere. Yeah. And and with that attitude, I thought I want to make big impact somewhere. How can I, how can I find a cause that I care about? Yeah, and do you think the cause is more important than the skill? I really care about the cause. You have to have skilled people in an organisation. Yeah. So it's not like skill is never is important, but I'm not designing the tech. So yeah. my technical team needs to be skilled, and we need to have skilled people around us. And I have skills. They're just yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. Just, they're not they haven't been twenty years in in greenhouse gases. Yeah. I, I think th skills can be learned, right? And I just think that the cause, if you like, if you genuinely really feel passionate about this, you can learn. You can learn the rest of it. The rest, yeah. of, like the, a lot of stuff, like isn't. If you're like a management yeah. consultant. Like you're always learning a new industry. Like yeah. people, you can learn a new industry. You just have to have that, that mindset of learning and finding people who are better than you. Like I always feel like we need to find people better than us. Everybody we hire needs to increase the average of our organisation. Yeah, I love That's that. That's how I see that. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I was I was literally thinking this this morning. I've hired this guy makes these clips for our, our podcast. My editor, my whole creative team love them and they're just so good at their stuff and i was just literally reflecting on that this morning i was like why would you ever hire someone to tell them what to do they should be yeah no. yeah they should be telling you what to do in a certain area yeah and actually so we see ourselves yeah. as nestor and i as enablers so we are not there to tell everyone what to do like we're there to give a vision and then we say what do you need to get your job done what do we need to get to you what barriers do we need to take out the way for you to do the thing that we've hired you to do yeah so we don't see it as like these are the things you have to deliver. <laughs> you know what you have to deliver and how can we help you? Yeah. So what can we expect from Blue Methane over the next few years and how can the audience get involved? We are going to be deploying pilots and then commercial scale technology over the next couple of years. 
we start making impact, like it really only matters when you start removing your first ton of methane. So I think yeah. getting to that point really matters, de-risking our technology, having mechanisms to to make it a commercial a business model that, that pays. I think we we still see, like with the audience, we always look for awesome interns over the summer. So if you are interested in an internship at Blue Methane, we, we have a few each summer, which we find is a great way to challenge again your own assumptions um, and to give back as well. Whilst we often hire for specific roles, we're much more about when we find an amazing person who can help push this vision forward, we'll try and find a position. Yeah. And that's how we, and often you find, you meet people and not at the right time. Yeah. But having met them along the journey, then the right time can come. Yeah. Because new roles come up, right? And yeah. you can prove yourself. Yeah. I love that. Ah, oh, I love this mission. Really, really cool company. Everyone, please check out Blue Methane, follow them on, what's about LinkedIn? Best yeah. Way? Best LinkedIn, I think. Uh, LinkedIn, best way. The road to a billion tons. Amazing. What a vision. Uh, and what a cool technology and cool team. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks in. so much really for having me. It's been it. great. Thanks yeah. for your time. <laughs> Bye, so everybody. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye.